Blog Talk Radio. Are you for me?
And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel, WCLM in Richmond, Virginia. You can also catch the show on IBM TV and on Big Mind Entertainment, my good brother, and his channel. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us wherever you are. You could have been doing anything else, and we certainly uh, appreciate you checking in. I want to go to my guest. Always good to have him, man. Always good to have the doctor in on well, a nice song coming in on that, of course. Um, and, <laughs> and we love having him come in on a good song. Of course, he's a full professor of sports management, studies sports entertainment. He breaks down the economics. He's at Texas Southern College, of course, of education with a, a joint appointment in the School of Communication. He is Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. And, and Doc, always uh, a pleasure to have you on, sir. It's great to be on. Thank you for a great introduction. Listen, I know you're short on time, but I want to get to it. And that you know, that song that tell me it's real. Is it real that when we <laughs> look at um, some of the the teams that have been jockeying uh, at the top ten? You know, your top ten comes out uh, at the time of this broadcast tomorrow. But when you look at you know, the play of an Alabama A&M and a Jackson State, um, how real are they? But before you can answer that, um, and you can come back to that, the rumor now, of course, Jackson State, I mean, geez, Dion just got there. And all the rumors are like, you know, everybody's like, well, he's probably <laughs> going to go. He's going to go to Florida State. My Seminoles look really bad. Um, they lost again. Uh, not wait When's the last time you hear Florida State losing to Wake Forest? But we keep these black talented coaches, and they bring and he brought a whole like Baltimore Ravens staff in. Can we keep these black coaches in these HBCUs? I mean, the good thing is they may bring some recruits in. The bad thing is if their alma mater is bad. I mean, Eddie George might back to Ohio State. Who knows? Um, you know, when <laughs> it, you look at it, and we keep these this talented black core of coaches that are already good in, in camp for a while to build on HBCUs so we can be, you know, at least maybe not completely economically competing with the PWIs, but certainly getting our fair share at that point? Short answer is probably not. Uh, but I think the one in terms of uh, Coach Prime, as I like to call him, uh, I think it's a little different situation. Uh, I will say this, that we still live in uh, America, and while these um, professional men, because I don't want to just call them athletes, as, as these coaches that are looking at changing their lives and, and doing it from a cultural perspective of looking at HBCUs, I think there is still a unique framework of this country that is in this place, that is in place, I should say, which is really talking about how we look at black institutions, if you'll allow me to use that framework in terms of an HBCU or a white institution in terms of the framework of a historically white college university, as I like to call them. And while Florida State is really at an all-time low, I'm not sure if people really look at HBCUs, although we see it differently, as the incubation for bringing in the next coach, even if you have the connection of 
the alma mater. I just do not believe fundamentally that the boosters that would be behind this move are really going to be ready for Coach Prime. Uh, one of the things that is unique about Coach Prime is he's extremely outspoken. Um, and usually in this field, there is uh, a reticence in terms of getting an institution to deal with somebody that is out as outspoken as Coach Prime. I think they're going to have a problem with that, even if you can get past all these other superficial layers that are out there. I just fundamentally believe, unfortunately, that people do not see HBCUs as the incubators. Some people so you, so even I, see I, them I, as a higher level of higher education. So, real, no, fundamentally, I don't believe so. Let, let me add this one thing before that because okay. I know it's important sure. to really chop that up. The other thing that is unique about this situation is his son, um, and not the oldest son that, that will be leaving uh, shortly, but his youngest son, which is the one that he's really grooming to be a quarterback, is a freshman. I don't fundamentally believe that he's going to leave him, make him lose a year, and transfer out for him to go home. A couple of years from now, I can see that maybe, not now. So you say, are you saying, I mean, in layman's terms, are you saying that Dion's too, he's too black for his alma mater? He's too, he's too yeah. black. He's too yeah, boisterous to, to, to go back it. to Florida yeah. State. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's another way to put it. That yeah, he is too much culturally relevant. Uh, for an institution that likes to keep things relatively bland, which is probably the problem they have. Um, They brought in another coach that was connected, that had the Florida State connection, and you see how short his tenure was, and things have just gotten worse. One of the issues at Florida State, just to really go down with this, is a facility fundraising issue uh, Mm -hmm. that Florida State wants to hang on to yesteryears and they're not moving forward what is necessary to build the facilities there, and it's giving um, a challenge for coaches that come in and recruiting. And that program is really going to have to hit rock bottom before those involved with it really understand that they beat the curve when they brought in Bobby Bowden, and things have changed tremendously by now, and they're not ready to make that connection to bring in somebody such as Coach Prime that can fix it. What about Eddie George? And Eddie George is in a different situation. Certainly he's at a, um, a, a traditional HBCU in Tennessee State, but he's playing in a predominantly white, or he's coaching his program predominantly white um, conference. So is, is that a different situation where they look at him different moving from not, you know, Jackson State is in the SWAC, but, you know, Tennessee right. State – is it so? Is it if he decide if if Ohio State drops off the map and you saw they lost um, this year already at home to Oregon, I believe. And so if, if they drop off the face of the earth, can you see a uh, Getty George? I don't know how how vocal he is, but can you see him going from an HBCU to a PWI? No, I don't see him going to a historically white college especially some of a power five level, if you would. That's just right. a significant leap. And although he's not as outspoken as Coach Prime, so it would give him a little better fit. And to answer the first part of it, you're correct. It is different that you're talking about a black institution within a black institution, meaning an HBCU within a HBCU conference, if you would, a black conference that's right. a collection of HBCUs versus, versus Tennessee State an HBCU that's in a collection of historically white colleges 
for a lack of a better word, what I would refer to as a white conference in terms of the majority of institutions as we see it. So there is some difference in that uh, framework. Um, but just in general, you don't see very often that a coach at the FCS level, no matter what their ethnic background or the institution, very rarely do you see a FCS coach be able to take that to a FBS job in a power five. Usually you have a move where you go from an FCS to what you call the G5, the, you know, those next five, right under mm. the power five, offensive coordinator at least, head coach certainly, and then they make a jump in terms of the power five. So just in general, it's very rare uh, if you see that taking place. And it's even less rare. It almost becomes a unicorn when you talk about the ethnic makeup of the coach. You just do not see it. The last couple of power five African-American coaches, we can count on our hands uh, in terms of those big prime jobs. Charlie Strong, and we see the curve that he had to do and how it did not work out at Oklahoma. He had a coach previous to that that uh, took over the job at Oklahoma. His name escapes me, but Oklahoma was on probation at the time. Um, So um, you don't see that in terms of these. Uh, programs You saw it at Miami where they brought back alumni at that time, um, and you could see that there's multiple issues going on with Miami. They just can't get it fixed. He couldn't quite get over the hurdle and get it done quick enough before they pulled the trigger. You're also in a society where there's just not a lot of time for you to get around the curve, and it just takes more time to build programs, and you just do not have it in this uh, framework where there's just so much money tied up into a winning program. So these traditional programs that have had some success just are not willing to allow programs to really develop. You have a coach at Penn State um, that's been able to kind of beat back the odds, but even he's had some question marks about how quick they were ready to let him go, but he always finds a way to kind of take the next step, to curve out of that. You saw it at Oregon State for a short while as they were building the program, and that was the coach that came over to Florida State and couldn't get it done. Um, So there's just not a lot of coaches out there that have been able to get these Power 5 programs and show you something unique. Obviously, you have uh, Herm Edwards at uh, Arizona State looking at trying to get it done, and that was even a a non-traditional yet. Green back in the day at Sanford, which was one of the first characteristics and Stanford's is an outlier even though it's in a private a power five you had a coach at Vanderbilt uh, that was in the SEC which just is a challenge Vanderbilt for whatever reason can never win uh, in that conference the fact that he was able to give them the 500 was a kudos which landed um, a couple of coaches a chance to get the Penn State job so you see them out there but as I said it's really you know a handful at two you're really getting desperate if you can fill up that so it doesn't happen. It's a unicorn. If you just join us, we'll talk with uh, Dr. Kenyatta uh, Cavill here on the uh, Bachelor News radio show on uh, WCOM in Chapel Hill, uh, Carville, and also on uh, IBM TV, the Bachelor News radio network at bachelornews.airtime.pro. Doc, you know, one of the things that has come up all the time, we talked about this over the years, um, is the lack of uh, coaches. I have to ask you this because it relates to to college and, mm-hmm. and black coaches, that um, the, the lack of black coaches in the NFL, right, and then to the power conference 
businesses that you're, you're talking about. The app, and, and I would say the opportunities are, are uh, few and far in between. And then when they get them, you know, they get two years and they get fired, like you saw at Florida State. And and certainly Charlie Strong didn't get uh, the kind of time I thought he deserved. But you have an Eric B. enemy, let's say. As you know, a great player in college, certainly played well in the NFL. Uh, it, you know, offensive coordinator uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. His own coach gives him credit for for the play calling and, and, and building with um, Patrick Mahomes and all that. And he still doesn't have a job. Now, some people, I don't buy all into it, says that because he's being picky. I don't. I, I my reports don't hear that Eric Bieniemy, this black man who wants to be a coach, is being too picky that he is not a coaching NFL yet. Now his name is coming up. His name is coming up with the USC job, as you know. The Southern Cal fired their coach, and they're looking and all this stuff. Is it good for him? Because the NFL still has their issues with the Rooney Rule, trying to you know bring these black coaches in. Is it good for? to go backwards, if you will, or, or I don't know what, what, what if it's a lateral move or back move or whatever kind of move, to go from offensive coordinator in the NFL to college coach at a past, at least, prestigious a football program. Um, and then in order for him to have to muscle his way back into the NFL to get the, the, the head coaching job, not only he wants, but that he deserves. Man, you're only today uh, really <laughs> substantive questions in terms of uh, how you're taking this deep dive. So I really appreciate it from that perspective. I guess I would ask um, before I give an answer is, you know, how are we defining a lateral move? And, and I'll give a couple of examples. Um, financially, in a lot of ways, as you know, some of these college jobs, you know, prime jobs, they're actually paying more than what you would get as a head football coach in some of these NFL. So if you're talking about financially, uh, and USC is one of those top jobs where they're going to pay quite handsomely, and it's a private institution, so there's a lot of ways that they can hide some of that salary, um, just for example. But, yeah, some of these college jobs, Alabama and basketball, Duke, they're paying more than what they're paying NFL and NBA coaches. So that's one perspective. In terms of obviously – the prestige of coaching in the NFL, which is a professional level and the highest level that is measured out there, yes, in that way it certainly would be a lateral move because you're playing at the collegiate level, even if it is what we call one of the Blue Blood Prime programs. So I think it just determines on how you look at it. Um, If he goes to USC and has success, I would say it's probably going to be easier for him to go back into the professional ranks uh, just because those coaches turn over so fast in the NFL that they're going to be desperate. And if he could show that he's got it done, that they'll certainly finally give him a shot. Um, there, there, There's no reason why I can really think of why he hasn't got the shot yet at the NFL level, other than the fact that, you know, people are just not comfortable with him. And that's how many people make hires this day, which sounds ridiculous when, there's so many NFL teams that are desperate to win that, that they wouldn't give it an opportunity. So it's just more examples of why it's more challenging for African-American minority coaches to get opportunities uh, at, um, in athletics and in sports where we generally like think about 
uh, that venue as a place where you don't necessarily have some of these old tropes of racial lenses that we look at things, but unfortunately, uh, that's just not the case. But you know, they, it's it's funny you should say that if you could respond to it. You know, Pete Carroll, speaking of USC, this, this white coach, he, you know, not only has success, but there, you know, obviously was there were some improprieties there um, when, you know, with uh, Reggie Bush having to give back his uh, Heisman Trophy and all this other stuff going on. But Pete Carroll just kind of rolled out of that controversy and rolled right into the Seattle job, got a Super Bowl. He's got Russell uh, Wilson as his quarterback and so on and so forth. You got, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Alabama. I mean, this guy goes to the Dolphins, quits on him, goes back, and, you know, the rest is history. We've seen that with a lot of different white coaches and stuff. So uh, it, it, is it more pressure for a guy like Eric Bieniemy to have that success in order to get into that pro rank? If, if he struggles, say, if he did take the USC job, uh, is, he, is that going to make it, in your opinion, of course, uh, make it tougher for him? To, to get a, a coaching job in the NFL. Absolutely. If we, especially if we go by the data, um, if we go by previous iterations uh, of what are to come, we see just by the number that there's no doubt that he has to get it right if he wants chances. Those other coaches that you talk about that happen to have a different hue, they have multiple chances to show whether they can ultimately get it right or if they will have multiple failures of getting it wrong. Pete Carroll and um, uh, uh, Alabama coach Nick Saban have been Nick able Saban. to have multiple chances. Yes, Nick Saban had multiple chances of ultimately finding a position where they got it right. Um, and um, other than Nick Saban, even Pete Carroll, people go back in terms of what took place with his offensive coordinator or how – Many people think that he gave away a Super Bowl uh, based on his offensive coordinator uh, choices of play at the end of the game against New England. But that's a, another discussion for other folks to debate uh, for a lifetime. But even in that case, yes, he had a chance to fall on his face, got an opportunity, and kudos to him. Ultimately, he did get it right. And you can't take that away from him that he did in a lot of ways, get the job done, even though some people would argue, if you look at the big picture, uh, that he had what many perceive was the greatest college team of ever, and they lost to um, Denson Young in the University of Texas uh, in that game there. So he didn't get it done then, uh, went to the NFL for the second stint, and um, off the uh, back of a great defense, quality quarterback, he was able to win a Super Bowl. So he'll go down with the credit of uh, being able to be one of the few coaches that won a national championship and a Super Bowl, even though he had failures along the way. But the point that I'm making here is not so much to focus on him as an individual or whether uh, he deserves those opportunities. I mean, you take whatever opportunity you get, but I do bring it out that he had the opportunity to fail right? and then had an opportunity to have success. If you go and just look at the numbers, I'm just talking about look at the data. Not anything right. personally what I think about. Look at the data, and the That's data right. clearly shows that African-American and minority coaches do not get those second opportunities. They don't get the blue blood jobs. Um, and so they usually take over programs that are struggling. And just like just about any coach that takes over a struggling program, whether it's at the collegiate ranks or the professional ranks, 
Usually it's a short-lived. They do not have success. Some of them might have a wave where they build the program a little bit, but ultimately comes crushing down. And this is why I will say that. I am a firm believer that organizations win championships, not individuals, right. um, uh, not just players. It takes a, a total structure of an organization. You have to have a lot of things in a line and probably just a bit of luck, whether that is drafting somebody that ends up superseding with anybody's expectations along with other great players, uh, and a solid, if not great, coach. Usually they come in combinations. You cannot separate a great coach, usually from a great quarterback and or running back or a big-time receiver or a solid defense. They usually go hand-in-hand, hand. Uh, and you can argue the chicken or the egg, which one comes first. I'm not sure there. But generally speaking, you need both of them. So this magic elixir that we put in for coaches is just not there. The problem is, is you tend to have one coaching candidate that gets multiple opportunities while other coaching candidates don't. Yeah, and I mean, hell, let's can, can we just get an opportunity to fail? Can we at least get a chance to fail? Let alone, get, I mean, <laughs> we don't even get the chance. We need to even Correct. give us the chance so we can stink up the joint. But at least we got the that. That's what the, 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 your point, like. These other people, they go in and out of the NFL, college, this and that. They offensive coordinator. They, they serve in defensive coordinator. They're moving around. Meanwhile, we don't even get the chance to even stink up the joint. Um, and, okay. and, 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 you know, nobody talks about Tony Dungy's trick. You know, Tampa, first Super Bowl is because of Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy has put out the Mike Tomlins and all it's black, white, it doesn't matter. Tree is just as good as the the guy who cheated, in my opinion, in New England. So I don't want to hear about or, or Parcells or whoever else. Tony is as good as it gets, and his tree. They don't talk about how how, how many people he put off, uh, he put in place um, to be successful uh, at every level, not just in the NFL, but certainly guys have gone on and coached in the college level. Tony Dungy that so I, I just think that it's really important to what you're to you, what you're saying is that let us lead this it I mean it's it's two plus two is four dog like it's been going on we've been talking about this from the beginning of whatever that we want the same opportunity if we fail and data shows like you said you're a data guy and it shows we fail based on the merits and everything then we fail but give us a chance to try to either be that's really what it boils down to, um, and, uh, and I, I think that's the problem. Before you go, because I know you got to run, uh, any surprises from this past week? I know that, you know, when you, you look at Alabama A&M still there, Jackson State obviously uh, had the, um, uh, the, the, the game there, and, and you look down at Florida and finally uh, getting a win off on State Central, got a big win. And then you look at, you know, the play of Albany State. Of course, they lost, but they they, they should still be uh, towards the top. Benedict is good. Bowie had another win. And, and watch out for Langston. So, any surprises in your top uh, ten? Uh, I know you, yours coming out tomorrow in the major and in the uh, major rankings. Not a lot of surprises in terms of where teams are ranked at this time, you know. 
uh, from week to week, run the data tonight, but I don't think you'll see a lot of changes. You might have a team jumping up to the top five and a couple of teams falling out. You'll, you'll probably have one team, two teams fall out of the top ten based on what it is. But I would say this, in terms of surprises, in terms of what we've seen early in the season, at this point it's a surprise in regards to just how good Jackson State Tigers look, especially on defense. Right. You know, as the quarterback is, you know, maturation is right in front of our eyes, so you need to get some credit there. But I'm not sure that people thought Jackson State would be this good this early. So a little bit of surprise there. I think Alabama continues to answer the bail. Some people probably thought that they would fall a little sooner, but they played well early. So kudos to them showing that championship pedigree that they come off the spring. Uh, certainly North Carolina Central was a surprise when they went over all four states. Um, I think one of the surprises in a negative uh, situation is Southern Jaguars. So that right. loss to McNeese at home stung. I think a lot of people really had expectation they would win that game. They have a lot of season ahead of them, so they can make it up, but I think that's just an early stump. Uh, we talked about, obviously, the Alcorn State loss to Central, another early stump. Uh, um, but you have to give the Braves credit about what they did to South Alabama, giving them all but the business there. Um, so a lot of credit goes there. Another surprise I would say early is North Carolina A&T. Uh, most people thought they would do better against Furman. They held their own against Duke in the first half, and so it was good for some people to see that back. But those are probably some early indications of what the surprises are going on now. Mike Sneaky in the Prairie View Panthers starting at 2-1. and one. They got a big game against Grambling this weekend in terms of the rival. Grambling is down, so if the Panthers uh, will continue to win like they have in the State Fair Classic, they should continue to get it done, which will uh, surprise some people about how early – Prairie is doing. They've been able to have success in the last couple of years early, but tend to fade uh, on as they get into October and then November. So that's the team that uh, be interesting to follow to see uh, can they get it right this time. Last one I would yeah. give some credit to, I think it's important, is Arkansas Pine Bluff Golden Line. They sit at 1-1. One and one. Uh, They had to win over Lane. They really played a pretty decent game against Central Arkansas. Late in the fourth, they did have it within eight points although some people would say that was kind of up and down on how they played that game. Uh, but they will be interesting. And it's a primetime game on Thursday getting into it. Uh, ESPNU were Alcorn State that we just talked about, which will be a top team, uh, 10 team going into Arkansas Pine Bluff, another top 10 team. So that's a top 10 matchup, Alcorn State Braves uh, in terms of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. So check that one out. Those are some early indications to get your blood boiling, if you would, in terms of swag play. Speaking of uh, um, checking out and following, uh, let people know how they can follow you and know your tents coming out uh, tomorrow and how they can get that as well. Thank you for that opportunity. You can follow me on social media platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R- K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can also follow me live on Tuesday and Thursday, uh, Facebook Live. If you can't catch it live, you can go back on YouTube. All that's Dr. Deville's Inside HBCU Sports Lab, where we will reveal officially you got some little insight of what it may look like, but you'll get the top ten of Dr. Deville's Inside HBCU Sports Lab major division and mid-major division as we do our Inside HBCU Huddle report. Uh, from 6 to 7 Central Standard Time. Check us out. 
and we'll let you know what it looks like at the top of the code. We do a ranking, so we take all the data and give you what you want and what you need. And and you do a great job with our I really appreciate it. And Thank Doc, you. like I said, always, man, uh, good stuff. If we can go next week, man, I certainly appreciate it. Recap some more games, talk some more um, HBCU news, and, and certainly preview your uh, top ten. Thank you, sir. No problem. We'll look forward to trying to make it happen. Dr. Kenyatta Caville, right on the Bastion New Deal show. Take a quick break. I'm going to come back and bring in Lakeisha Lewis-Vick. And I'm going to talk about uh, September is self-care month. It's uh, taking care of yourself. And, you know, uh, I think it's so important that we remind ourselves if we're caretakers and we're doing other things for other people, kids, whomever, that we have to take care of ourselves. And she's going to talk about that right here next on the Bassett News Radio Show on WCOM and Chapel, CLM in Richmond, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, and the Bassett News at airtime.pro. Check. 
And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, uh, uh, North Carolina, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, and the Bachelor News uh, Radio Network. We appreciate you joining us. Wherever you're watching or listening, we certainly appreciate you. Thank you uh, for joining us uh, today. I want to bring in my guest, uh, a pleasure to have her on uh, she's been on my show before, maybe not in this um, uh, platform before. She is a, a licensed professional counselor uh, in both Oklahoma and in Texas, and she's the host of Emergent Ease with uh, Keisha that airs every Thursday at 6 p.m. on the Bastion News at Airtime, not Pro. She is Lakeisha Lewis-Vick. And Lakeisha, I appreciate you coming on uh, today. Thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Good to have you on. We've, we've done the audio thing, and, and now we're doing the video thing and audio thing, and thank you uh, so very much uh, for, for joining us. Um, I wanted to have you on. Uh, you know, you are a licensed professional uh, counselor. Uh, September is Self-Care Awareness Month, yeah. and I think, you know, Keisha, we, we're here to serve. Right. Um, yeah. and, and we that's what we should be doing. But I think when we're parents and we're teachers and we're counselors and 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 we take care of the elderly, um, we're doing that service. But sometimes because of your own mental health and just taking the time out the woosa, right? We have to have this awareness, this take a time out for yourself, whether, whether it be quiet time, your closet space, or getting your nails done, getting your toes done, men and women do that, right? Something just to kind of get away from all of the rigmarole that you're doing and helping in the service that you're doing. So talk about that, how important this is for this month, but even, you know, every month, every month right. and every day, you should be able to put yourself in a position and say, hey, I'm doing this, and I'm doing it from the kindness of my heart and some right. obligations, but I do for, if, if I can't be mentally right for, for myself, how can I help other people? Exactly, exactly. It's very important that we all take time away. One thing that I encourage people to do, for one, is to... Um, I hear a little bit of an echo. Let me see if I can see something on my side. Okay. I encourage people, for one, to uh, disconnect. Um, put your phone down. Put email down. Put work things down for, uh, if nothing but just a, a time in the day, at least an hour a day. Step away from everything, all of the rigmarole of work. Even with your role as um, being a parent, if you're a single parent, develop a support system where you have the ability to tag someone else in. Like if there's some other single parents that you've befriended or that are in your friend circle, allow one of those people to say, hey, I'll take the kids for an hour and give all of you guys a break and rotate that through the group to give yourself um, some time to just recharge because that's what self-care is, time to recharge, time to let your brain process some things, time to uh, allow your emotions to come back to a balance and allow your physical to come back uh, down because if we've all noticed in um, 
the time of COVID, as I call it now, uh, people have gained weight. People have developed some health concerns that are not associated with COVID, but it's due to stress and not taking the time to allow the, themselves to come down from that. We all deal with stress in life. There's positive stress and negative stress. And regardless what you do, we really can't stop the negative stress from coming. It's going to come, but it's all about what we do in that moment and afterwards to process through it. So if it means that you take a walk, walk in nature, I encourage people to do that. Go take a walk. Go sit by the lake. Um, read a book if that's your, your peaceful time. Um, don't sit and binge watch First 48. That's not helping anybody. <laughs> but find something. That brings you peace and joy and calm. So then that way you can be a better version of yourself in all the roles that you do play. Because we have to look at people are mothers and fathers, um, grandparents, um, such you're working, whatever other roles you may play in whatever organizations you may be in, as well as other roles you may play in life. Maybe you're a caregiver for several people in your family, children or adults. You need to take a break. You need to have a moment to say, hey, this is just my part of uh, of time in the day. I encourage people, like I said before, to take at least an hour a day for self-care. Um, it's, it, I'm going to come back to the positive and negative stress that you mentioned uh, earlier. Um, so I am the godfather of someone who – uh, a, a young man who lost his, his father. His father was one of my closest friends. And so I try to be in his life and, and do those things. He he, he has a lot of, of, of females um, on, in his life. So he, you know, between me and my kids, he, he gets to do the male bonding. I bring that up because you had mentioned about as parents, single parents, and his mom's a single parent now. So is there a guilt factor in that that we're you we we do need the time. You're a parent. I'm a parent. You know what it is. Like you need to go in your closet, go in the bathroom somewhere. So how do you decipher the guilt part of? Am I pushing my kid off too much? You know, am I doing too much for myself um, when they need me? How do how do parents you know decipher where they're not? doing going too overboard and giving them me time especially if they're single parents as opposed to you know being responsible for those kids right um the thing that i found that has been helpful for me is really being able to tune into self and saying hey i am feeling afraid at the end so let me take some time let me put some investment into self and the thing about the personal investment that we put into self as parents is it's not that it's taken away from your child because if you were pouring into yourself and giving yourself the opportunity to recharge, wouldn't you then present better with your child? Uh, wouldn't you then be less uh, maybe short-tempered or easily frustrated with your child if you're able to relax and, and refocus? So just like the example I gave of if you're in a group of friends and you have several single parents and you guys make the agreement, hey, um, every Tuesday or every Thursday, uh, we, one of us will take all the kids and we'll rotate that. And for an hour, it doesn't, and you don't have to run away for the weekend. You don't have to run away for the day. 
but I encourage everyone to have some type of time in the day uh, to, re to focus on yourself. In that hour, maybe you uh, go do yoga, maybe you go and just sit and just just sit and, as I tell my clients all the time, just sit and be. Uh, we don't have that anymore. And the guilt in it um, should always be challenged with. It's one thing to say, okay, five days a week, I'm only with my child for five hours. It's another thing to say, five days a week, I'm away from my child or doing self-care for five hours. I'd rather give that five hours of self-care to prevent stress or strain in the communication with myself and my children than to be out all the time and they only get five hours with me. Just joining us, we're talking with Lakeisha Lewis-Vick. She's a licensed professor, uh, professional counselor in both Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, also the host of the Emergent Ease with Keisha uh, that airs every Thursday at 6 p.m on the Bastion News uh, Airtime Pro. We'll get to that in uh, just a bit. So so this might be sort of a, a stupid question, um, Keish. Um, if you, when do you decide to take that time? And if you decide to take that time, is that something you have to plan out before you take the time? If you're feeling overwhelmed, you just want to just get away. But if if you know you need the time or you plan the time, then whether you're a parent or a caregiver, um, you want to plan it out, have somebody there to pick up the kids or take care of the mom or the grandmother. So how do you work that out? It, 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 can it be overwhelming when you just say enough, I, I just need a minute, or you feel it coming, or is it sort of a case-by-case a, a -case basis? Be, uh, again, because the self-awareness is, is self-care. Right. Uh, the thing with that is this, if you can plan it out, plan it out. That way, if you know every Tuesday from 6 to 7, this person is going to be able to watch the kids for me or this other person I'm taking care of, and so therefore I'm able to plan what I go do. It also gives you an incentive of something to look forward to in the week. I encourage people don't get to the point to where you're just really at burnout and you're just like, I've had it, I'm done and I need to just break away from everything because that means you have allowed your stress levels to get so high that it's very difficult to manage them at that point. So when you're, when you're going through um, those times, plan as much as possible. Sometimes you may have to uh, get up early and do some self-care or stay up uh, after everyone has gone to bed or whatever is taken care of. Um, to, to address that personal time. It looks like we have um, some people that have put in comments concerning um, Absolutely. getting addicted to social media. Right. That yeah. has been such a big, huge thing, um, especially since uh, COVID has uh, kicked in because people uh, that are working from home may have more time at home and so, therefore, it's always this, well, I'm bored. Let me see what's on Facebook or, um, you know, kind of feeling blah. Let me go find some memes or funny videos. And you find that hours upon hours upon hours have been spent on social media, Facebook, um, uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you're on. And you have to look at what are you getting out of these things? Some people go on there just to um, 
check out uh, what is everybody doing. I need to make sure I'm doing something in comparison to what they're doing. Um, or I'm looking for um, things that make me laugh or uh, information or whatever it is. Find other ways to get those things that you're seeking. Sometimes people do do social media so much because they're trying to refocus off of themselves and their own lives and the things that they really want to improve on their own. So if you're looking to social media as a distraction, set yourself a timer for whatever you feel is appropriate. That means, like, for instance, let's say you find that you're on social media on and off four to five hours in the day. Only set, set your timer for just an hour in the day. If you break it up and do 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening, but don't allow yourself to overload yourself um, with it because you're, you're really taking focus off of self, and social media is not self-care because it can lead to so many other stressful um, outlets of self-judgment, um, finding other things to fill your time, that are um, that are not allowing you to be uh, productive. Um, someone says they don't want to waste their da data. Well, there's other ways to use your data. You can use it for music while you're walking or sitting out in the park. Um, you can use it to um, communicate with family that may not be near. So even if you're wanting to, you know, not waste your data plan, and even with that, if you have so much data left after you kind of put yourself on a time time limit, that's going to really save you money because you can lower your plan. So don't allow that to be a reason to say, well, this justifies me always being on social media or on social media so much. It takes away from your personal focus. Let me ask you this to stay with the the couple um, scenario. Um, well, let me let me backtrack. Uh, real uh, a real quick answer. If if they're in the midst that they're overwhelmed and they don't get the plan, how does that work? I mean, what do they do then? Because they, if they didn't get the plan, they're feeling overwhelmed and they planned it that's one thing but if they like you said they didn't see the signs and now they're overwhelmed how do you do that how do you say to a uh, big mama hey i'm not going to be there because i'm feeling kind of overwhelmed and feeling kind of you know in the, you know in, in, the, in the position where i'm you know I, i'm uh, feeling it you know a, a weird way about me mm -hmm. Um, with that, the biggest part of self-care is setting boundaries. When we set boundaries with people, often it's very scary because we think, what are they going to say or how are they going to feel? Are they going to be hurt by me setting this boundary? And the hardest boundary to set is telling people no. We have to realize even in this age of technology, we are not super people and so, therefore, we have to be able to tell people no, regardless of their position in our life. Even your supervisor, you have to be able to say, hey, you know, if that person is adding extra things onto your workload, I, I can't. I can't. Because it's taken away from personal time. It's taken away from family time. And I need time away from uh, the job. And, I mean, unless you're on call and that's part of your salary or something and it's it's not in rotation, it's just you 24-7, I would reconsider that uh, that employment. But 
you have to be able to say before you get to the breaking point, I need a minute. I need a break. I need to do something to recharge self. No, and that, someone that, put in that, a lot of people are living that, in virtual employment and that, how important is it uh, not to get crowded in traditional in the traditional workplace. Virtual employment is awesome. I do that part-time. Um, it's awesome because I can get up out of my living room, come into my office, sit down, do my stuff, and uh, go back to the living room when I'm finished. However, the pull-in of virtual work is since I'm right here, well, let me finish this, and let me finish this, and let me finish this, and let me do this. And next thing, you're just so pulled into finishing, trying to finish, trying to do, trying to do, trying to do, or even trying to work ahead that you do not give yourself time to say, I need a break from work. I need a lunch break. I've worked at home to where I'm like, golly, I haven't eaten breakfast. I haven't eaten lunch. I don't even know if I drank a cup of water. And that is not healthy. We have to, as as people in this day and age, because this, this is the first time any of us have experienced such a large um, demand for at-home work and such a big opportunity to do it. Yes, we're saving on gas. Yes, we're saving on all these other things. But are you using up all of your energy and your focus on that job? And how is that going to cause you to possibly be resentful, possibly be less productive, possibly uh, influence whatever health concerns you may already have, or help you create health concerns which you don't really want? Um, I, I just wanted to follow up real quick. Um, you were talking about um, – you know, the emergency getaway. And I, I wasn't really necessarily talking about the job. I was more so saying, like, if you're a parent or a caregiver and all, all of a sudden you want to pull your hair out, you will get away. You didn't get a chance to schedule it. So how do caregivers and parents in that emergency mode where I can't take it anymore, what do they do? How do they fix that? Okay. That is kind of set up on the age of the person, especially if you're a new parent with a new baby. Um, as uh, the old wife tell, uh, goes, when the baby sleeps, you get some sleep or you do something for you. Take a shower, take a bath, take a break. Um, however, do not allow yourself to get caught up in the rigmarole of, well, the baby sleeps, so now i got to go and do all these things. Do that when the baby's awake, because honestly, I found out on daughter number two, that's entertainment for them to watch you do stuff. And I didn't even realize that with daughter number one, because I was sitting there like, oh, my gosh, I got to go do all this stuff while she's sleeping. Now, the other thing is, if you're a caregiver to older children or older people, they still take naps. Do something for yourself when they're taking a nap, especially if there's absolutely no one that you can tag in. Use that time um, in a in a positive way. Don't wait till your grandmother or grandfather falls asleep for their nap. Because usually, if you know, I have older, I had older parents. They take a good nap. It's about three hours. You got three hours right there to take a break, get off your feet, listen to something, go do something, eat something, whatever it is. But take time for you. It's so funny. Um, just a quick story. I know we got about less than ten minutes, but you know when when my my firstborn was um, 
born uh, Keish, you know, and it, it, you know, his mom was working and I was back then working and working from home and stuff. So I had him for the first time. He sneezed. I'm calling her. I'm like freaking out like, whoa, you know, the, so I, I, I get it. Like, you know, you, I, I was feeling kind of overwhelmed with just being home with him the first time. And that wasn't even stretch. He was an old little baby, little Buddha boy. And uh, he's like, he sneezed and looked at me. I'm like, I'm calling her like, something's wrong. And she's like, boy, if you don't, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I get it. And I want to stay on the, the parent side because um, you mentioned COVID and two parents. And not only, I'm sure, in your in your um, profession and and. And in therapy, you've had couples saying, whoa, is this the right person? I've been home with this person all this time. And, you know, are we going to get a divorce or whatever? But you also get and you know, I, I I did virtual with my two boys. And, boy, my name is Daddy. It's not even my new name is Daddy because that's all they were saying the whole freaking time. It was just driving me crazy. So when you get in that situation and now you're in, and self-awareness, making sure that, again, if you're a caregiver, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're any of those places where you're giving yourself and your time, your energies and your mental state, um, you know, how do you de- de- decipher the fact that, you know, when you're it, it, as a couple specifically, you know, who takes the role, who takes the balance? It, I'll take this time and you take this time because, it, it again, you know, everybody has their private space. You talk about this on your show all the time. You got to have some boundaries. You got to have that private time, whether yeah. you're married, especially, or, or whatever. So what's the steps to kind of take roles if you're uh, a married couple or if you're, say, you and your sister or somebody taking care of your elderly mom, and one of one of which kind of says, "Man, I'm just burnt out." How does that work? How do you balance all that out and don't offend or invade in anybody's space at the same time? Right. Um, the one thing I encourage people to do, especially married couples in this time of COVID, where both of them may be working at home. It's for one, don't work in the same area together of the home. Take a break. You don't have to stare at each other across the laptops all day. Um, Also, in communication, whether it's couples, uh, people who are dating, in long-term relationships, family members even, develop a system of tagging in and tagging out. Now, with that, talk about it before you decide to implement it, of course. Um, But with tagging in and tagging out, what that does is lets that person know, hey, I'm frustrated or I'm stressed right now. I just need a minute or a break. So if it's a tag in, tag out, like um, I've had parents that, just like you, uh, L.A., had become virtual teachers. You're still working from home. You're still trying to run a household, and all all everybody is there. Like the house, the apartment is not getting a break from anybody because everybody's in. And the thing is, because of all that closeness and um, intertwined interactions all day, like you don't ever get a chance to miss each other, people are burning out, really, on the family. And what was not being said is, hey, I need a break. 
Now, break, even in that, as I told told you guys earlier, in that hour that you give yourself a day, you don't have to do it all an hour at a time. Take a couple of breaks during the day, 15 minutes. Even an eight-hour job is going to give you two 15-minute breaks, at least, plus an hour lunch. Take that time. There's a reason those breaks are incorporated for you to allow your mind to process the things you've been doing, um, for your body to kind of relax because we don't realize sitting all day, even problem solving, whether you're talking directly to people or not, you have to take that time to kind of allow your body to even process. Because if not, you'll end up with a whole bunch of tension. And many women know uh, that tension is carried in our shoulders. And men, their tension is usually in their lower back area. So you're sitting there in a whole knot, because that's just what we're going to call it, it's a knot, all day because you won't say, hey, I need to take a minute. And many times that saying that I need to take a minute involves you saying, I'm vulnerable right now. I need to step away. And it is okay to say that. There's no harm in that. Matter of fact, it's more helpful than not to break away, especially because if you're like me, um, L.A., and for the people who are in the uh, over 30 club, I don't know new math. I don't comprehend new math. Why did it have to get reinvented? I don't understand it. <laughs> so that frustrates me. But I know that's my tag out time. Like, okay, look, I got to tag out. I don't even understand why we have boxes right here. We just, this is the way we did it back in the day. And the thing is, it you know, uh, for for me, I, look, my kids drove me crazy. The COVID thing, man, and they talking about going back virtual, and I I love my boy, I, I but they drove, <laughs> ooh. So anyway, um, so final two questions before you get to, I know um, we don't push uh, your info and make sure that people know you got a very good topic uh, at the time of this the time of this broadcast. Um, to talk about so animosity, especially when it comes to um, siblings. Mm-hmm. If 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 L.A. and my brother Kevin is taking care of my sister or father or brother or whoever, and we already in this area, this space where well, I do more and then and then I take the time out. How do you work that out? First thing. Second part. The second question to that is. You mentioned, and I said I was going to go back to positive and negative stress, and I've never, ever heard that, but you're a therapist, so you, you can explain that. How do you have positive and negative stress? I'm thinking positive would be something really good, negative would be bad, but you said positive and negative stress. Explain that to the audience, too, please. Okay. If there, First, I'll talk about the animosity. If there's already animosity, um, and you're in a working in a caregiving role for parents or whoever, even children, you all have to sit down, have that communication, and decide together to put that aside. This is the time that we have, especially if there's animosity, it's very necessary that limits are there. If that person is in a, a mindset to where they're not able to use limits because there could be alcohol, substances, and all kinds of other stuff involved, you have to be rational about what you can expect from that person and then develop a backup plan for the care of those people that you're uh, caring for. Um, as far as the positive and negative stress, uh, we've talked about on emerging ease before, distress. That's the negative stress. 
that's the had a car wreck this morning uh water tank busted on the way taking the baby to the babysitter and now i got a flat um all kinds of things that we don't really have control of or their outcomes that we don't want to uh to happen negative outcomes so that causes the negative stress which reinforce possible worry um gastrointestinal issues um, maybe sleep concerns, all of that. Now, positive stress, which is you stress, is what we want. It's more short-term. Positive stress would be, hey, um, I'm going to get married. Hey, I just bought a house. I got a new car. I got a raise. Because who's not happy? But it is stress because now you have to think, how's my life going to change with this new thing, with this new marriage, with more money? Because we all say more money, more problems but we want more money. So we have to look at what those positives are. The positive stress is very much welcomed, but it brings stress because it can cause worry. And worry is not positive for, for any of us. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's, I'm glad you pointed out like that. Cause it I mean, it's almost like, uh, you know, um, that, that, that positive negatives one instant and then one's whatever and you kind of deal with it either way uh but you have to be mature about it and kind of have to to have that space and i'm sure you explain that so before you go let people know how to to reach you uh talk about your practice talk about emergent ease and again at the time of this broadcast what is which i think is going to be very good um your current topic will be about Okay. Um, the the show is Emerging Ease. We have a Facebook group. On that Facebook group, you'll just look up Emerging Ease. It'll pull up a caricature of me. My hair is actually like this in the caricature. It looks better in the caricature. I need to get it done. <laughs> um, we um, I do all kinds of different posts there. Uh, advertise the show. Um, if you are looking for a therapist and um and uh you're wondering uh maybe who can i look for in oklahoma or texas you can reach out to me through psychology today psychology today you'll look up lakeisha lewis that'll pull me up as well as my bio and contact information um if you need to uh, reach out to me especially if it's a topic about the show, you can put in emerging ease, all one word, at gmail.com, and I can respond to you from there. And it looks like we have Tammy Anderson, LaShawn Hill, and Jacqueline Belk in the house with us. Awesome. Welcome, ladies. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You know you got your phone. Oh, I forgot to say my uh, topic today because I think it's making L.A. nervous. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> They're making me nervous. It's I think for it's, emerging it's not. It's yeah. not making me nervous. I think it's a good thing. Uh, and, and and how you framed it, and you know, we talked about it off air, but anyway, you can talk about it. Okay. Uh, the topic today is sex, the taboo topic that impacts all areas of our life. The person that will be on as a guest speaker today is um, Danielle. She's a, a licensed uh, therapist as well, and her specialty is helping couples as well as individuals with their sexual health. 
we don't really realize it. And let me put this disclaimer on there. When I say sex, it does not mean go find all the people on Twitter and TikTok and, and Tinder and start having all the activities with everybody. I mean strategic, planned, this is a plan. You don't just accidentally wake up and you're in the bed with somebody. But to make sure that you're understanding how sexual activity does impact you. I think so often people are so focused on just go have sex, go have sex, and they don't realize how it's affecting them mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically. So that's where we're focusing on to start off with talking about sex today. Well, I, 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 you know, I'm not intimidated. I thought it was a good thing the way, because I know how you would frame it and I know how professional you are. So I, I, that's why I wanted to make sure people put it out there. You ain't going to be talking about, you know, going in there and doing what, what you people allegedly would think. But I, I, I wanted to thank you. And, and also, uh, hopefully next week, uh, Keisha, I want to get you on because this is also, September is also um, uh, suicide month, too, in terms of people doing that. So we'll talk about that. And I know you deal uh, in those realms and those spaces, too. So thank you so much. I will talk with you very soon, shortly. And uh, God bless and uh, appreciate you coming on. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, always good to have.
And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show and Bachelor News Radio Network, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, and WCOM in Carborough and uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. LA Bachelor, we thank you for joining us. Hopefully, we'll have our guests on um, in a minute. Uh, we thank you for being a part of this. Keep in mind, if you do miss any of the broadcasts, uh, you can check it out on StreamYard as you're checking it out now. And, of course, you can always uh, go to our website for the audio side of this at thebachelornews.airtime.pro, uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Again, uh, waiting on um, Quadrigas Bernard Driscoll. He's a, a policy influencer and a federal lobbyist and is a adjunct professor at the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management, and he is here. And uh, uh, Professor, we appreciate you coming on as always, sir. Good to see you. LA, it's always good to be with you. Thank you. Yes, sir. So I wanted to touch a base first on um, the Biden administration, and no surprise that um, the Republican side are trying to really, you know, hinder his administration and getting things done. You still have a lot of bills on the table. Uh, and obviously, with the events in Afghanistan, uh, some Republicans are calling for impeachment. Um, tit for tat, of course, in, in my opinion. But A, will they be successful in that? And B, do they have any grounds for impeachment? Well, again, always a pleasure, L.A., to, to, to be on your, your show. Um, to, to the heart of your question, no, they, they absolutely have no grounds for impeachment and, and B, uh, they will not be successful. If there is only one member of Congress, solely to my knowledge, maybe a handful, but it's Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, from my home state of Georgia, who is leading these impeachment efforts. Um, she absolutely has no no evidence whatsoever, not only evidence, but she, she has no backing. Uh, she has no precedent for this. She was the member who was kicked off of a committee for some of her more, more outlandish comments, particularly regarding January 6th. And because she doesn't have uh, any committee assignments, she is doing everything in her power really to distract the work of Congress. Um, of course, we know that Congress, uh, you know, as you mentioned, has a lot of bills in play, uh, has a lot of uh, policies that they need to work on. And, and there's a lot of actually bipartisan efforts uh, that are taking place. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is nothing more than a distraction. And this is exactly what these resolutions for the impeachment of President Biden are as well, distractions. What about the, the actual... Um specifics as it relates to Afghanistan, the way we left uh, Afghani, uh, the Taliban taking over. Just from that standpoint, in your, in your opinion, do you think he handled it the right way? Well, do I think he handled the right way is a tricky question to begin with. I mean, we have to, for all listeners out there, we have to keep in mind that this war uh, with Afghanistan has been going on for 20 years. And we also have to bear in mind that it was President George Walker Bush who actually took us to Afghanistan. And of course, then President Obama and then President Trump and now President Biden have all inherited this. 
and the the call for withdrawal of the troops started actually under President Trump. So Biden is, is continuing what the previous administration started. Sure, he could have took a reverse action, but I think that he handled the um, Afghanistan crisis, if you will, to the best of his ability. The reality is it was a no-win situation to begin with. Um, there was absolutely no way that we could continue to stay until the Afghan government gained control without allowing the Taliban in. And, and you know, I am no expert frankly, when it comes to foreign policy, so I even hesitate to talk about this. But I, I will say that I think, generally speaking, it was a, a, a win. It was not a win-win to begin with. And so he is dealing with the cards uh, as best he can that, it, that uh, he was dealt with. You're just joining us. We're talking with Professor uh, Quadrico and uh, um, a Reverend um, uh, Bernard Driscoll, he's a, a policy influencer and federal lobbyist and is on, uh, obviously, a junk professor uh, at the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. Um, professor, when you, you look at the uh, situation as it relates to um, the Supreme Court, um, there's been a lot that's been said about how Chief Roberts has handled the court um, lately. Uh, some people think in some ways he's lost the court to some of the newer um, justices, uh, 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 Amy Barrett and, and so on and so forth. But with this unprecedented move, I think, uh, in terms of the Texas ban, the abortion ban that went through that it was a 5-4 decision uh, that, you know, uh, Chief Justice Roberts dissented with uh, the other side, but they, it still did not um, pass in terms of blocking Texas from doing what they're doing. We can get into, like, the specifics of this, this abortion rule. I, b I believe it's four weeks or six weeks uh, um, after that, yeah, and after that, you you can't have the abortion, and there's those ramifications that come down. Um, how significant is this ruling, and what does this do in the long term for Roe versus Wade, which has been around for uh, what since '73 or something something along those lines? Right, absolutely. Well, uh, Ella, you you raise a very good point. Uh, the Supreme Court's order, the Supreme Court order on the Texas abortion ban, shows really a threat to Roe versus Wade. Uh, the court's conservative conservatives rejected, except for the Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, rejected a compromise from the Chief Justice, signaling that they already um, were ready to make significant changes in the half century of the Supreme Court with regard to Jewish prudence that would control a woman's right to an abortion, uh, raising uh, states with regard to uh, the Mississippi law, uh, even the, the Texas law. And so what we have now is the second most populous state in the union has the most restrictive abortion law curtailing uh, access for millions of women who, of course, it will, this law literally takes it out of their hands uh, for a woman to have a say in, in reproductive rights in this country. So it, it is certainly significant. 
It is also certainly a threat to Roe versus Wade, and we will see how this really um, unfolds. I, I think now what the the Congress is attempting to to do is to look at ways um, how they can expand abortion access in response to the Texas law. Speaker Pelosi said today that the House would vote on legislation to guarantee access to abortion once it returns uh, after recess. So clearly, this um, the Texas law and, and what the Supreme Court has said with regard to this law is making headwaves uh, nationally and even, and even legislatively to the extent that the speaker is calling for crafting legislation to ensure that um, women's reproductive rights in this country are protected. We will continue to monitor this and see uh, the repercussions of what it may have and the impact that it certainly will have on Roe v. Wade, but also on millions of women across the country. And you have to think, too, Doc, that, um, Professor, that most of the country, since the, the Roe v. Wade decision came down, has been on the side of, you know, we, you know, don't get rid of it and, and people should have, uh, women should have uh, the right mm-hmm. to choose and the right to de- determine their, the, their body. Whether you disagree or not, that's what that's what's been on the books. So, right. if are you concerned though? When you look at the House, they're extremely right. You know, it's not just the uh, representative from your state, but there are a lot of other people way to the right. Um, and and this is one of those those kiss. Uh, cases and issues that a lot of people talk about. The House will vote on legislation to guarantee access to abortion upon its return to Washington. Uh, You're absolutely right. I I think that, I mean, this ruling and this law is um, fundamentally a a constitutional assault uh, on women's rights, uh, women's rights to reproductive as well as to her health. We, the House you know, there's a narrow majority with, with Democrats. Um, we will see, though unlikely, how this will unfold in the Senate. Uh, but fundamentally, um, it is a this is a response to how uh, this law is impacting women across the country. And again, it, it does jeopardize severely a woman's right to choose. And so, uh, with regard to how Republicans and the ultra-conservative states will uh, legislate across the country, how even states in, in my home state, the, the abortion law, um, at the, I think it was the heartbeat abortion law that passed that ultimately died in the courts, we, we will unfortunately see more of these continue across the country. It's going to be incumbent upon Congress, uh, the House as well as the Senate, as well as general assemblies, and to take actions within the courts to stop such draconian measures to restrict a woman's right to choose. Yeah, and when you you look at that, I I often say that men, I really don't care what position of status you're in, really don't have, shouldn't have that type of say uh, on a woman's body. Your, your private beliefs are your private beliefs, but when it comes down to a woman and their decisions, I mean, I, I don't understand why 
you know, uh, middle-aged white guys uh, in, in particular uh, feel like they need to have this. I had some questions. Um, uh, what's your thoughts on DeSantis? Um, very popular in his state. Uh, obviously looking to make a run for president, in my opinion. A lot of people, I'm sure you, you've heard that. Um, you know, with the mass laws, we look at Texas, what's going on there. The COVID numbers are going up in, in those particular places. What about these mask laws in some of these conservative uh, Republican states, and how will it affect those running for election, for re-election, and in DeSantis' case, running for president? Well, you know, I'm also a healthcare lobbyist right. in addition to everything else you mentioned. And I, I had a conversation with a researcher and a physician, a clinician, uh, on Monday with regard to these um, these mask on mandates. Right? Um, I politically understand uh, DeSantis as well as Governor Abbott's decision to. It, well, let me say, I don't understand. <laughs> I do not understand their right. I understand, however, that they're pandering to a certain electorate, a certain electorate that don't believe that COVID-19 is real, a certain electorate that believes that they shouldn't even be vaccinated, and, and thus they want the freedom um, to, to not to wear masks. Uh, politically, I understand all of that. What I think they are failing to understand is that they are further putting uh, the country and the world at greater risk. We know, of course, that there, there is a Delta variant, but what we don't know is that there's also a Lambda variant and a Gamma variant. And those two variants, particularly the Gamma variant, which is, I think, the other parts of the world hasn't quite reached the states yet, the, the Lambda variant has, we are approaching this apocalyptic viral state because I understand from what I, conversations with the researchers and scientists is that the gamma variant are killing people within three days of catching it. And it is all because people refuse to be vaccinated. They refuse to get vaccinated. And so these laws do not help. And unfortunately, we are moving towards a biomedical nanny state which I will give some credence to those who don't want to wear masks and don't want to be vaccinated, because I do believe that it is your fundamental right to get sick and die if that is your choice. But, however, it should not come at the expense of jeopardizing others. If we equate this to smoking, we know, of course, 40, 50 years ago, smoking was pretty much legal everywhere. You could smoke in restaurants, movie theaters, etc. Of course, through series of research and studies, we have found out that smoking causes lung cancer. Lung cancer disproportionately affects people of color, particularly black men, etc., at the rates of death. As a result, we have, outlawed, we have outlawed smoking in most places in this country, and even in those places where smoking is legal, you are reg regulated to a certain section, whether it's at the airport, you're regulated outside, or a certain box that confines those who choose to smoke. It's the same way with the vaccine. It is a public health crisis. And what these people also, particularly Governor Santos and Governor Abbott of Texas, don't understand is what it means to be in right community with each other. Even if it is your choice not to be vaccinated, it is your choice to protect others from being effective. Thus, if you don't want to be vaccinated, 
at least have the common decency and respect for others to be in right community to wear a mask. These people don't even want to do that. So I applaud a lot of corporations, a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, gyms, etc., that are saying you cannot come into our establishment, you can't even go to work unless you are vaccinated or you have negative COVID test results. Because unfortunately, it's getting and it has gotten to that point that corporations have to force their hands and jobs have to force their hands in order for us to be safe and to protect our own health. You know, I know we're running out of time. Just two quick things. A comment is, uh, you know, everybody talks about, you know, freedom of speech. Well, freedom of speech is not always free. You can't go in a movie theater and yell fire in the middle of it. That could be dangerous and you can get in trouble for that. Well, your rights are not always free, too. When they infringe what people that don't want to, to vaccinate and wear masks forget that it's, it's affecting um, other people. And I think it's very careless, very... Um, disrespectful and no real um caring for your fellow man or or your kids like if you don't want to wear a mask or get vaccinated keep your you know what home but don't come around me and, and that's that's really where it is on that debate one final question i wanted to or it was a comment i want to get your thoughts on before we go uh the uh uh thais said if i could find it again oh this is a prime example why uh, the Biden administration must expand the Supreme Court. I guess she's talking about Roe Wade and some of the other things are coming on. And, you know, like we said, with the House, it's gone very extreme, right? We mm-hmm. see what's going on with Judge Amy Barron and others that are going to that side as well. So what do you think about Biden expanding the Supreme Court? Well, you know, President Biden has already said that he does not wish to Uh, expand the Supreme Court. I know that the narrative, particularly on the far left, is out there that we need to expand the Supreme Court. But again, I think we also need to consider the consequences of expansion of the Supreme Court. Because if in the the event there is a Republican president at the, the next election or the next couple elections in the near future, we have to consider what uh, the outcomes of, of uh, that will be as well. So, yes, it, it might seem prudent and perhaps even advantageous for President Biden to expand the, the Supreme Court. But we also have to think about the long term consequences of when there will be a Republican president and then, of course, more nominations happening. Uh, there have all there have already been calls for. Uh, I think Justice Byer, uh, uh, if, I, if I'm perhaps butchering Byer. his name, yeah, thank Byer. you, <laughs> yeah, to, to step down uh, given his age. Uh, I think, you know, justice are, are they, they are taught to have this cult of the role ideology, which means that they are taught not to necessarily be political. Uh, we know that that is a myth. Uh, we know and there, there were talks about that uh, perhaps Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have also stepped down um, so that. Uh, but again, I don't think that the president will uh, expand the Supreme Court. Uh, he's already articulated. And, and again, as, as I said, we have to consider the long term implications of what expanding the Supreme Court would mean when there is a Republican president. 
I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to the Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio and Chapel Hill, the CLM, Richmond, Virginia, IBM TV, Bitcoin Entertainment, and the Bastion News. Airtime. Uh, pro. We thank you for listening, wherever you are. If you miss any part of our broadcast, make sure you go to our website. As I mentioned, the Bachelor News. Airtime. Pro. I want to bring uh, my guest. Uh, a first appearance on the show, hopefully one of many. We certainly appreciate the time the uh, head football coach at the Fayetteville uh, Broncos coming off a tough loss, but uh, certainly uh, one of those teams that you always look at. You talk CIAA football, you're definitely looking at the Broncos um, in the South uh, having a shot to to win. Uh, the division is going to get to the championship game. He's Richard Hayes, Jr. And Coach Hayes, we appreciate you coming on, sir. Hey, how you doing this afternoon? I appreciate you for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for your time. Uh, my co-host, Tony T. Mac McLean, is line, too. I'm sure he has questions. Uh, before you, you played a couple of games, get to the gate game. I mean, they're, they're perennial, obviously. Um, but what was it like to actually be out there with – you know, a full crowd, and I mean, obviously, you just heard the COVID stuff still going on, um, but just to have that experience to be back, um, to, to be out there, to have, you know, Broncos fans, you know, um, getting it in for you, how did that feel when you first got back out there? Well, I, I said it in an interview earlier, a couple of weeks ago, that I really didn't believe it was real until we got on that bus that first mm. Friday to go play in the Downey's Classic uh, because, uh, you know, there's so many rules and protocols that you have to follow, and you just never know. But we've been fortunate enough in our first two football games to play in, in front of pretty decent crowds. It was a very nice crowd at the Downey's Classic, and then Wingate was pretty much full that night, and, and we've had very much, very good support from our fans and our community, and we just want to try to continue and have a great season for them. Yeah, and, and certainly uh, you guys are – um, uh, one of the favorites to to, to the uh, the championship game and and then you know go on the greener pastures. Um, not this game uh, thus far. Obviously, uh, a tough way to lose. This is uh, not a a pushover, and none of them are coach. I, I'm sure. Um, certainly, Wingate, you know, playing there and and playing a team that's been you know in the playoffs. Uh, and you said in, in quote, in the first half, we didn't play well. How, how did this snowball? I think you guys were down 20, uh, 30 to 7 at halftime. You made a run in, in, in the second half. But, but what happened in the first half? Well, we just made too many uh, mental mistakes. Uh, we, you know, get a first down and we get a holding penalty. Now we're in second and long. 
or we get a stop on third and long, and then we get a penalty. So just shooting ourselves in the foot, and and that's my job to get these guys prepared to understand that those type of penalties you won't you you can't have against a good team like Wingate. They're nationally ranked every year. They're in the playoffs every year. They're a very good football program. And for us to be successful against teams like that, we can't shoot ourselves in the foot. You know, when people think of Broncos football, they think running football, stopping the run, pinning your ears back, getting after the quarterback. Couldn't run the, the ball that well. Is it because you got down early and you just had to open it up more, or are you concerned about the 59 yards um, uh, rushing? Not concerned about that at all. We have an outstanding uh, trio or, or quadrant of running backs. Um, but at that time, you know, we, we were behind a little bit, and we were just taking what they was giving us. Our RP game, RPO game was clicking that night, and the run game wasn't clicking as much. And sometimes in the RPO game, the quarterback sees what he sees, and when he should have handed it off, he pulls it and throws it. That's the nature of RPOs. Uh, but our run game is solid, and we're, we're still very confident in it. Absolutely. Talking with Ray, of course, he is the head football coach of Fayetteville State um, uh, on the Bastion News Radio uh, show. Coach, uh, just off the field, if I can, for the Tony, um, you see so many changes at the HBCU level, whether it be major or mid-major. You're in obviously the um, the SIAC and, and your conference and some of the independents. Um, you see. A, a trend now of these famous people coming in, Primetime and Eddie George, and even on basketball, Reggie Theater took over in, in different places. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> it, it's, you always had great coaches in the conferences anyway. It's just that now these name guys in there like that. But how much do you think it helps recruiting um, in an overall picture in particular with your conference like a, a great sport conference like CIAA well I think in the swag it helps guys in the swag um, <laughs> although I believe coach does advocate for all of us HBCUs uh, they they are reaping the benefits of that that coalition they formed over there with FAMU and Bethune Cookman uh, so right. the, the, those, those drop down big time recruits they're going to go there where, where they're going to get that that TV deal, and they're going to, you know, stuff is going to be out there for them that they won't normally get at, at a CIAA school. So we don't even try to fight that battle. Um, I said a couple of weeks ago, we, we we are branded on recruiting high school kids. Uh, this, during this time, we had to go out this year and, and try to get some older kids, but that's not traditionally who we are. Uh, so we don't dive too deep into that. Is it a huge difference? When you got into it, and and now in terms of the talent level, I mean, a lot of people just say, you know, the difference between, you know, FCS and D two is really scholarships. You got more players, right? More scholarships. Do you think it's a a, a bigger difference now, or or, or is the uh, sort of the the playing field been a little more level? I think there's still a tremendous difference. Um, of course, those scholarships do mean additional players. Uh, back when I first started coaching, I don't think it was as much of a difference uh, because it was some really solid D2 football teams back then in the early 90s. And, and, and now um, with these scholarships, 63 scholarships versus 36, and some of us don't have that. you know. So 
we're, we're fighting an uphill battle against the one double A's and FCS teams. We're, we're talking to Richard Hayes, uh, Jr., entering his sixth season uh, as head football coach Fayetteville State Broncos um, this year. Of course, uh, definitely uh, one of those guys who knows how to get it done, and they've been in these these uh, uh, CIAA championship games. Of course, he's coached to the year. If you have a question, hit us up, uh, 646-929-0130. Of course, you can uh, ask questions in the chat room at that number, or uh, you can hit us up and, and ask questions at the Bachelor News at airtime.pro. With that, I turn it over to my good friend and colleague, Tony T. Mac McClain. Coach Hayes, uh, thanks for joining us uh, again. Uh, what what did you guys uh, focus on during the uh, bye week? Just trying to eliminate um, some of our mistakes that we made and sharpen up our special teams. We've normally been pretty good on special teams, and, and in the past two games we've had uh, two field goals blocked and a punt. So it's little things like that that we're trying to correct, make sure everybody understands their assignments, and making sure that they understand special teams to us is just as important as offense and defense. So that's kind of what we've been working on. And, um, you know, talk a little bit about the new field this year. Well, not so much new. I mean, you, you, you still have the other uh, turf, but talk a little bit about the new field and how that's and you know how you guys are reacting to it. Now, are you practicing on it? And if so, uh, what's what's you know how's it how's it been for the for the players so far? Uh, yes, we practice on it every day. Um, that's our practice field as well, and and it's it's an outstanding surface. It's, it's new to us. It's, I think we had about a, a thirteen or fourteen year old surface on there before, and it was a little antiquated and hard and. If you fall on it the wrong way, it's going to leave a nice old strawberry on you. But this new surface we have is very soft. It's very fast. I mean, it, it's it's outstanding. Uh, AstroTurf did an outstanding job of installing it, making sure it was prepared for us in time. Um, the color scheme is beautiful, and, and we look forward to opening it up Saturday night. And one last one. Uh, you know, one of your standouts this year, and uh, it was the second straight week he was named uh, defensive back of the week, uh, Joshua Williams. Even with the loss, he was still able to, uh, you know, show his dominance. Talk about uh, what you're looking from him for this year, and, and what he and what he's been able to contribute. Um, well, Josh has a, a a swagger that I can't I can't really. Uh, tell you how it is, but he, he's very confident within himself. Um, he's 6'3", he's almost 200 pounds. He's one of the faster players on our football team. And I tell you, man, um, the, the attention he's getting is, is, is a little bit overwhelming. We, we, we have about, we've had about 26 teams come through here, um, and we've only played two football games. And they're showing him a lot of interest. He, he just got an invite to the HBCU Legacy Bowl, um, and he still has another year left if he decided to take it. Uh, but, you know, what we expect out of Josh is the same thing he's always brought to us. We have a long guy on the outside playing man coverage. Um, he, You know, a lot of teams like to put those tall wide receivers out there where we feel like we can match those guys uh, when Josh is out there. And and he has pretty good technique as well. So Josh is doing an outstanding job through the first two games. He he has a pick. He has his, had his hand on a couple of balls. And um, he him having ten tackles against Wingate, the stats sound good, but if our corner has to make ten tackles, that, that tell you we're in a little bit of trouble. So right. I'm trying to correct that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Coach. Hey, Appreciate Coach, that. you know, it's 
funny though, you know, you you mentioned that if your if your corner, your safety making all the tackles like that, something's going yeah. going, you know, something's up there's some issues there. Um, uh, but with along that same line, talk about this defense and and what you like to do on offense uh, for those not familiar with 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 Bronco um Bronco football. Well, well, defensively, we run a 4-2-5 scheme. I mean, we're a max zone coverage type of team. Uh, we send pressure at times, but, we, you know, if we don't have to, we won't. Uh, offensively, we, we, we are 60-40 run, we say. Uh, but like I said earlier, in certain instances, you take what the defense gives you. Uh, so our first game, we ran for 250-some yards. And in our second game, we, we threw for 365. So, I mean, it's all dependent upon what the defense is giving us that particular day. Uh, that's how our offense is set up. The quarterback makes the checks at the line, and, and so far he's done a great job. Yeah, he, he he really did. I mean, and you're right. I mean, if if you're in the when in Rome, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, you, if you're down, you got to do what you need to do to make adjustments. Certainly, you guys made some adjustments. You could see in the second half play yes, um, is falling falling short. So when I look at this this schedule of yours. Um, you know, it's how important is the next two games? I mean, obviously, coach, you know, you say every game's important, one game at a time. But you get mm-hmm. the Trojans come in, and then Lincoln, who's coming off a win, if I'm not mistaken, um, before you come back, you know, uh, to you play at Shaw, and then you go back to the Giants. It's a weird schedule in the in the middle of your your season. Talk about how important these next two games are against. Trojan and Lincoln, the the uh, the line, um, and you know how this schedule kind of came came to fruition. Well, first I'll start with the importance of these first two games, and, and I'll start with the first game. I mean, it's the first conference game. Uh, of course, you know our, our northern and southern division champions are determined by a seven game schedule. Uh, the best seven games in the north versus the best seven game schedule in, uh, results in the south. And so right. this game counts for us. It means something. And this one and every one that we play there hereafter means a whole lot. Um, and as it relates to us and our schedule, um, we have five out, of, five out of our next seven games right here at home. Um, mm. So uh, we go to Johnson C. Um, excuse me, we go to Shaw, and we go back to Raleigh and play St. Aug. So everything else we do will be right here in the confines of Luther Nick Gerald Stadium. Um, the schedule was set up like that. Uh, I think we were originally scheduled to go to Lincoln, and it worked out that they decided to come back to us again. Uh, so that's why we have those home games, and I'm not going to complain about it. We're going to play the schedule that's <laughs> laid out in front of us and, and try to use this home field advantage to our advantage. Yeah, and so essentially you control your own destiny if you if you care for business at home, right? Uh, essentially, yeah, but, it's, you know, we understand we, we got some tough games out there, uh, starting with this first one with Virginia State. That, He's traditionally there, traditionally a very, very tough opponent. Uh, then we know we, you know, we have to get Lincoln, and then we got to go down and face Shaw. They're playing some really good football, coming off a, a dominant win last Saturday, and, and and of course in between the John C. Smith and all that, we got to end up with Winston Salem State, who who took Central to the wire last week. So yeah, schedule's not a cupcake, you know, but we do have those guys coming to our house, and uh, so we'll see how it goes. I was gonna say too, Coach, real quick that you know it's it, it usually and I, no disrespect of you know the living stones and all the other, but it usually comes down to you and the Rams, and they look, I mean, they look pretty good 
this year. Your thoughts on them? Um, from what I saw, uh, they are they're big, they're physical. Um, you know, Coach Matthew had those guys fired up with him going back home, and um, those guys played really hard for him. It's just unfortunate that they fell out a little short on him. All right, Coach, and then you know the the, the final question for you is is this Virginia State game? I mean, like you said, they are always going to be hard. You know, uh, hard hitting is always a, a, a great physical. Can you when you go and play those Virginia schools, you know, no union this year, but you definitely got to get um, state. What are the keys to five these to to get a victory at home against the, the Trojans? Offensively, the keys of the victory are going to be, you know, taking care of the football, making sure we sustain drives, trying to help our defense out. And defensively, we just have to get off the field, create turnovers, get off the field on third down, and play very, very good special teams, man. And I think those will be our keys to victory. Well, and no, no tackles. I know that that's a yeah. Boy, I know we, we've been working on that too. <laughs> <laughs> I know that drive. Can't tell you everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, coach. I appreciate you. Uh, uh, thanks, to Adrian, getting you on, and and we will definitely have you back on anytime you want to come on and talk Bronco football. The the uh, door is wide open for you. Best of luck against over State, sir. Uh, we certainly appreciate it, man, and go Broncos. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Always good to have uh, Coach Hayes on. I mean, he, you know, he's this team, every time you talk CIAA football, especially uh, in the South, it's usually him and the Rams, and, and State's been taking care of business lately. State's taking care of business uh, against the Rams lately, and uh, we'll see how that pans out. Take a quick break, come back with we'll Mac McLean on the Bass News Radio Show. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink with Welcome back to the show. Don't forget, if you miss any part of the broadcast, the rebroadcast, you can listen to uh, at the bachelornews.airtime.pro, the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, the show, among others, is on this show on our network uh, every Monday through Saturday and on Sundays at 11 and 4. Keep in mind... Um, in the evening time after our broadcast, uh, we have Whisper Softly, which is love songs that you can enjoy if you're taking it back in time. Tony T. McLean, of course, he is the editor-in-chief and, and a great one um, at um, Black Athlete Sports Newsroom. And, T, you know, it, it's, you know, Livingstone and those others, was, you know, it's been a minute. John C. Smith and all the teams. In the South, it's been a minute, you know, and quite frankly, really, he's been doing it in the North. 
too. So it's been a minute. It's really been sort of those three teams. It, it is either those two in the South or Bowie in the North. And like these other programs going to have to step their game up to get in, get in on the, on the fun. Are you muted, Tony? Okay, we're not hearing Tony T. Mac McLean, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with him uh, at a different time. Uh, we're going to get ready shortly to wrap up on the Bachelor News Video Show. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us again. If you missed part of the podcast, you can go to the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And if you're interested in having your own show, you can email us uh, with at labachelor40, bachelor with a T, bachelor40 at gmail.com. A bachelor phone, let me see that playing before we wrap up. I wanted to get your thoughts on a lot been said lately uh, about I call it sour grapes and and it, and it has to do with fans and comments 
commentators and teams, franchises, complaining about the wild card system. Now, I mean, if we want to go there, right, um, I, I, I remember I loved baseball, and those teams that he was on, they had a third-best record in the American League, or the fourth-best, or the or, or something along those lines, winning 90 games or 88 games, they didn't make the playoffs because it wasn't like that. There wasn't no system like that. So I think people get spoiled when they look at how the system is set up, the playoff uh, uh, you know, scenario is set up. I mean, these have been winning 90-plus games. I mean, the Dodgers and the Giants, one of them will win the division. The other one's going to have over 100 wins. And they're a wild card, and they could lose <laughs> in a wild card. So why all of a sudden people want to complain about system now when I think it's better than it's ever been? And poor Don Mattingly, but I think it's better now than it was back in the day. Well, you know, again, um, it depends. You know, it depends on your perspective. You know, it may be a terrible analogy, but you know, elevator smells different to a to a short person than it does a tall person. So now all of you know, um, now, you know, a lot of those teams that were, and see, look, it's 162 games. When? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, end, end of the day, end of the day, look, hey, all I have to do is look at my alleged team for this year, you know, when first place, first place most of the year, but when it came down to brass tacks, they were in the first place. They were the first place team, and they got nobody. You know, you can't blame the wild card. You can't blame. Now, have they had some stuff they had to deal with this year with the eighty-seven doubleheaders and fifty-five in fifty-five days? Yeah, it's 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 a little tough, but end of the day, you still got to win games. Because see, you look at Toronto. Look at what to where Toronto was uh, at the break. Yes, you know it was you know up in the air. You know we we talked about how their their um, pitching staff was probably going to be the death of them, but they just a said, young okay, pitching staff, a young pitching yeah, staff. Yeah, 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 yeah. They basically have just they just basically taken their you know they've taken their hitting shoes to a whole other level. Then on the other hand. You got the you got the uh, the Padres, and you know, you know, you know, my I said I thought the basically the you know, wild card was going to be them and the Dodgers, but uh, apparently the Padres didn't get the memo because right. now, you know, now they're slumping, and you know, you can take what you want out of the whole um, cat fight between Manny and uh, Tatis, but. Um, that's you know, smarter men than me have said this is why you play the games. This is why you play the games. I mean, and when you games, if you complain, how about you win your games? That's how sports works. Go out and win, and and everything else will take care of itself. Win your games. Things look for the longest time. You know, winning your division meant something. I mean, it still does because you still wear that. You still get the you know home field and, and all the other stuff, but. I've, I've never had a problem with the wild card. Right. I've never had. Matter of fact, I thought last year the you know I was actually disappointed they didn't bring back 
last year's format this year, to be to be to be quite honest. And I think, uh, and, and we talked about it, how you know the playoffs had a little bit more of an oomph last year because you had teams that had been there in a while, you know. And look, baseball, whatever little jolt that baseball could use. Um, is you know there's all look there's always going to be negative Nellies that are just gonna that that don't like certain things about change. There are the only thing things I, that the only but, thing I didn't like uh, T is the the whole I don't know what they're trying to do but the whole seven innings it makes me feel like we're coaching the little league again. You know like it just I don't know, it just no, sort of feels I, I, right. I, I, I don't even. I don't even. I have more of a problem with putting a putting a moron on second base to start extra innings than I do the right. seven inning game. Right. Now that's they've really. Been, yeah. Yeah, they've been doing. They've been doing. Look, the seven inning double headers have been going on for years in the minors. So I don't. But I mean, the thing is, it forces you to manage the game a little bit differently. It's that now right. you don't. You know. You know. And, and see, it's funny. The very same people. You know. The very same folks that are anti DH because you know they you know they think no this way same people that will try to tell you that oh there's no strategy involved when you have a DH and like yeah sure right <laughs> right ask, but, ask um, the Yankees with Giancarlo and uh, you know and it it, it it the way ironically uh, uh, some of the players in the outfield. Been- Playing. They've been using him as a DH, and obviously he's what got thirty-one home, thirty home, whatever it may be. So obviously that that theory is out out the window. You need you have to strategize with a DH Stanton that's hitting thirty home runs. And and oh by the way, just so uh, get your thoughts. Um, and I know you how you feel about my name, but are they ever going to go back to? I just look at the the twins here, and the twins, they can they can trade so much talent, but they make up with pitching. They got pitching depth. They got. I'm just looking at the series. You know, they have pitching depth and have pitching in the farm system. So they can. They, they may not always win, but they're always going to be somewhat competitive because they keep that pitching going. Yankees want to do the home run. The chicks love the long ball, and you lose in either two to one or you win in ten to nothing. And that's why Tampa's in first. That's why Boston's ahead of them. And that's why Toronto's ahead of them. Well, it's it's and we'll see. The the thing with the Twins is, you know, they they got to, you know since they don't want to spend no more than a dollar, they've got to have they got to develop something, but. What's it going to be if you're going to develop them and then you're just going to let them walk? I mean, it's 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 like it's like it's like watching um, Oakland. You know, they're they're going to they're going to develop their players to a certain extent, and when the players want more than minimum wage, they're going to cut them loose for a for a ham sandwich or two. And and sadly, it's the same thing in Minnesota. And my thing is, if you're going to develop, develop all the way. You know, now. Uh-huh. It's going to be ridiculous that you know if if you know when Byron Buxton's uh, time comes up, they'll probably let him walk. Yeah, but I I, I would t- I would take a farm system of pitching than than anything. 
I'm sorry. Well, like, yeah, I, don't, know, I, I can to, live to with be, two to one games. I can live with two to, to one be, games. To be fair, to be fair, the Yankees farm system isn't terrible. It's just they don't give their you know, they, you know even though the boss has been dead for a while, his his, his you know the the memory lingers on about how they're so quick to you know get rid of guys. You know they 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 want to call guys bust after only giving them like a a handful. Or whatever you know, the you know development is about. It's not just about the minor leagues. Yes, you have to develop kids in the minor leagues, but once they get to the majors, you have to give them their due, and you have to allow them to whatever. I'm I'm speaking from whatever because I remember I always use say the um, like eighty three, eighty four Mets as an example. What used to bother the hell out of me about. Davey Johnson early on was that he allowed guys like Fernandez and Darling and others to get their asses lit up. But his whole the method to his madness was, okay, you're a big leaguer. You gotta learn when you get yourself in the in the in the problems. You gotta learn how to get get out. Now, sadly, that was that 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 that's become a bygone era. Now, because between pitch counts and quality starts being seven innings or, 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 or what have you, it's, it's the, the, that's, that's, that's the part of baseball that, 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 that's very, very bothersome. You know, Dusty Baker was accused of um, – ruining the careers of uh, Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. And my thing, my, 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 my thing has always been, how long has it been, you know, how long has it been since they've had a couple of homegrown guys like that? Even when they, even, even, even when they won the thing, you had guys like Lester and Hendricks, and um, you know the majority, the majority of that, you know, you had a, now, now, granted, you did have a few. You know, you had Montgomery, uh, Carl, um, Carl Edwards Jr., others, but their starting staff was was not homegrown. But not only and, that, I, look at, I mean, complete games. I think the most is like three, and 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 the majors three yeah, complete yeah. games. And nobody pitches. Look. <laughs> My my thing is, you know, pitchers pitch, and I get the whole, you know, Tommy John's whatever. But and again, at the risk of sounding like the old guy in the barber shop, guys back in the day, you know, your workhorse guys, their injuries it was never an arm injury. You know, back in the day, if you didn't do three hundred innings, you were a punk. You know, and 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 got, and, you- and, and go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you look at a Jared Cole and Kluber, I think they both have two complete games. But that's a it's it's so watered down. Like I mean, when you look at a, Adam Wainwright, who was still pitching, right, and and he yeah. he's considered a, an old dude compared to the guys pitching now. He was pitched, you know, he'd have six complete games and seven complete games, and that's just not too long ago. And these guys getting. And that's and that's still 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 making your money. But and, and but, even and even the and even the six complete games is still 
Nothing. That ain't nothing. Right. right. I'm concerned. And so uh, Jared Cole, who, you know, whatever, injury, whatever, and he's got his two complete games. He makes an awful lot of money for two complete games in a season. <laughs> I mean, but, it's not, but you know what? It ain't, it ain't. Look, it ain't. It ain't. It ain't. It ain't. It ain't just him. It ain't just him. It's, no, it's, I know. It's, it's the game. It's the game. It's the game in and of itself. Cause see, here's the thing. Um, you look at how Milwaukee is done, and and I give Council credit. Council probably managed himself out of a World Series a few years back. Right now, he comes in there arguably. You could make a quote. You can make the case of either them or the Giants having the best overall pitching staff um, heading into the playoffs. And 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 oh by the way, they're two of the three teams that have already clinched. So it's it's it it's it, and and you know the Dodgers' history of uh, of of pitching as well. Even though even though they've had their problems this year because they haven't. I, mean, I don't think I don't think they've all pitched. Um, I don't think their quote unquote big five has pitched all together at all this year. And right. but but the scary thing with them is they're gonna get Kershaw back and see I know, you know, he's had his whatever in the postseason, but the thing is, going into this postseason now, he's gonna be coming in there fairly rested. And right. that may be to his event and also he's not looked upon to be the guy. Right. You know, they've got Sturgeon there. They've got um um Urias and uh and Bueller. So again, you know, how nice is it that you lose one Cy Young Award winner and all you can and and and, and all you do is just plug him plug in with another Cy Young Award yeah. winner. Yeah. But, you know, but they still but 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 they still, but 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 they still have to, you know. Look, more than likely, you know, unless something really changes, they're going to be in the wild card game because, you know, everybody's still waiting for the Giants to quote unquote come down to earth. Uh, they may not come down to earth until the uh, the parade. Right, and I, I said that earlier, and you're like, wow, this Giants team, they they just have this. Uh, this aura of just, we can pitching beat anybody any pitching, pitching and defense, pitching and defense. I mean, you know, that's that's look. No matter what you do with baseball, whether you have the DH or not have the DH, whether you you know whether you um, have a four man rotation or five man rotation, pitching and defense will will take you. You know, pitching and defense will take you a long way. It's sort of like football. Where if you can if you can run the ball, but you can also stop the run, always contend for uh, a playoff berth if not a Super Bowl berth. And and with baseball, that's wrong. That that's never changed. If you can if you right. pitch and play D, you'll be fine. You know. Right. And, and, and I mean, you should, I mean, it's still about offense, of course, but that pitching and well, defense. They, and they've been resilient. Against big kings, the Dodgers like the Padres. That's the point out that that part I'm talking about. Like they're just like we. I don't care how far we're down, we're gonna come back and win this game. That's their sure. that confidence sure. swag they got this year. Sure. Um, and they look really. They they obviously you know like you said 
Kershaw coming back is, I mean, it's that's the gift that keeps on giving for the Dodgers. But um, Giants look like a tough one, man. Really do. No question for you. Got a lot of people hitting me back about Roberto Clemente. You know he's got the school there in our hometown, schools across the country. You know, obviously, the 3,000 hits, the, the humanitarian part of it, the great glove that he had, all clutching, all that World Series. Some people are still saying, but, and I, I just don't see the but in that. I don't see. No, 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 it's, it's, you know, there's all, you know, it's, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. So, just, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just time, sometimes you just got to ignore folks and just, you know, just, you know, just keep it moving because, um, they, 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 they already, they already have in their mind what they think greatness is and, you know. And, and sadly, it's a reflection of, of, of what he went through. Because remember, he played in two of the most, you know, two of the more famous World Series of all time, thrived right. in both. And you still have people that, you know, say, well, he ain't this and he ain't that. But, you know, hey, I think, again, I think it speaks more about them than it does uh, Roberto. And he was an articulate man. I, I think that's people forget about that. He wasn't like uh, a Latino that, you know, they had an interpreter. guy could speak English, he speaks Spanish. I mean, he was just, and I mean, on the field, obviously, total package and what he could do and running the bases and hitting the ball, hitting the clutch, World Series title. I mean, it everything. It's, there's no reason. I think, but I, think, like I, think I think, I think the, to, to really get the feel of his impact he again, and I, and I said this several times. He was not the first, you know, Puerto Rican player to play in Major League Baseball, but he's the most influential because there are still there are generations of kids who still, you know, revere him, and their and their and their and their immediate, you know, siblings. Um, Revere him, and I think that's I think that's the biggest I think that's the biggest impact that that he could have, and I think that speaks even more because because you almost you almost stop talking about baseball when you talk about him, right? Carlos Delgado, Ivan Fudge Rodriguez. I mean, you got the Tatis, you got uh, all these kids. If, if they're not Puerto Rican, if they Latin born, I mean, it, 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 they're all they're all feeling it. You know what I mean? And they, and all, they, and they, they, and they know of and see and see they were nurtured of knowing who Roberto is and was. You know, that's that's right. that, that, that that's the thing. You, you know, sadly, you have a lot of past, former, and current black ball players that don't know who Jackie Robinson is. There are I, I, I you know, there are probably no uh Hispanic ball players that don't know who Roberto Clemente is or or don't know of his story. Amen to that. And you know, what's half of forty two? Twenty one. I mean, retired. Oh, oh I yeah, I you know, yeah. It's, it's, I know you Oh no, it's beyond it's beyond time. It's beyond time. But see, I think uh again Baseball's biggest, you know, they, you know, even though they show glimpses of times, they, you know, I, I, I just put it this way. 
I think it'll happen at some point, but it's gonna. But unfortunately, it's gonna happen at their pace and not ours. Always, not just baseball. You know, always. It's always like that when it comes to our our players and and our talent who who paved the way well, and that's, the that's game's on their shoulders. Sure, and well, that's why it's incumbent upon us to make sure that those stories are told. And 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 and, and I can live with that because. If we sit around and wait for, you know, the oppressors to sort of quote unquote free us, we'll be we'll be waiting for we'll be waiting to our to our grave. Mm-hmm. The peanut butter sandwich. You're right. Yes, place, my friend. I appreciate it. I'll talk with you soon, bro. Thank you, man. Bye then. Take care. All right. Tony T. Mac McLean, always good to have him on. He is the uh, editor in chief of the Black Africa Sports Newsroom. Check it out. B A S B A S N dot com b a s n uh, dot com if you missed any part of, of our broadcast make sure you go to our website bachelor news dot airtime dot pro the t h e bachelor b a t c h e l o r news dot airtime dot pro whisper softly love songs check it out on the bachelor news airtime dot pro bachelor news dot airtime dot pro enjoy talk with you.